coming up on the Inside Indiana Business Television podcast. We get a workforce and drug pipeline update from Eli Lilly's CEO, a new cutting-edge tool for men battling prostate cancer. Trendiana spotlights vegan eateries, a new path forward for John Marshall High School. Employee Indy wants to raise wages in Marion County, the latest on professional esports in Indy. And we look at the week's top stories with our partners at the IBJ and our panel of insiders. Welcome to the Inside Indiana Business Television Podcast. I'm Andy Ober. Global pharmaceutical giant Eli Lilly continues to adapt to the ongoing pandemic. What does it mean for the company's workforce, drug pipeline, and future growth? CEO Dave Ricks joined Inside Indiana Business host Gary Dick with an update. Hey, I want to talk about the outlook, and you had some interesting things to say to the uh, Economic Club of Indiana uh, this week, but I mentioned uh, in March... You came back to work, Lily came back to work in full force. Now, researchers and manufacturing folks have been working through the pandemic, yes. doing great work, but now you're fully, essentially fully back, back to work. That's right, yeah. So that really started March 1st. And you know, for us, uh, making new medicines is a team sport. So we need to do that together. Of course, we've, like a lot of companies, considered new flexibilities for employees that they um, began to appreciate during the pandemic and really find the best of both, both worlds. But for the downtown economy, um, you know, Lily is back in the office. In the middle of the week is particularly busy for us. And that's how we want it. When we run into each other in the hallways, we come up with new ideas and yeah. really advance the company that way. Yeah, and you mentioned that impact to downtown. I think it is substantial to get uh, the Lily workforce downtown, to be sure. Uh, I mentioned the Economic Club of Indiana. You, you had some interesting comments this week talking about you know, kind of that forward-looking view of a decade of historic growth. Talk about that. Well, the company's really been thriving. And despite the challenges all around us, it seems, uh, we've really risen to the occasion and I'm so proud of our team. Uh, five years ago, we set out to really, uh, after coming out of a difficult period, which my predecessor, John Lecklider, led through, um, really accelerate the company. And that's what's exactly what's happened. We've added about $10 billion to the top line of our, of our pharmaceutical business. Uh, the stock has appreciated over 300 mm percent -hmm. in that period of time, really uh, top of the charts in the industry. And that's all driven by creating new medicines mm -hmm. for tough diseases that really help people. Of course, we made medicines for COVID, but increasingly medicines for diabetes, for cancers, and as you mentioned, for Alzheimer's disease are, are driving the growth of the company. Uh, really an exciting time for science and an exciting time um, for the company as we, we try to arrest some of the most difficult health challenges in the world. You, you Several years ago, you said, hey, we, we, want to, uh, we want to launch 20 medicines in 10 years, Yes. right? And you are well along that path. Yeah, I think we're seven years into that. We've launched 16 or so mm -hmm. and um, well on our, our way to hitting that goal. We actually had a meeting earlier this week to say, okay, what's next? Because that seems two a year, which is, by the way, uh, would, would put us at the top of the pharmaceutical industry at that rate. Um, what, we've done that now. What else can we do? Can we go to three? Um, how more productive can we be? And uh, we're optimistic. Yeah. We, we can uh, continue to find another gear. You also talked about in your speech this week uh, challenges facing Indiana. You, you talked about Indiana being a business friendly state and a good state to do business in, but some challenges when it comes to education, the health of Hoosiers, workforce, yep. and those types of issues. That's right, yeah. Well, Indiana's been our home for 100, mm -hmm. almost 146 years, and it will remain that way, just to reassure everyone. Um, we've had some investment announcements outside the state, and I get a lot of calls about those because people mm -hmm. want to check in on that. 
But um, it, two things are true. One is it, it's it, when Lilly does well, the state can really do well. We all know there's a lot of spillover into the economy. Lilly Endowments is very generous and they're our largest shareholder. Many good things are happening because Lilly's been doing well. But we also need a thriving environment to do well. Mm -hmm. um, and we would like to grow here. Uh, so just calling attention to kind of in the next decade, in the new economy, what we need to pay attention to as a business community and as a, as a government policymaking community, which goes beyond the traditional measures of success, like mm -hmm. low tax rate and low cost of living. Now we need to think about, is our workforce ready to, to engage in businesses that are very technologically based, whether it be information technology or pharmaceutical mm -hmm. technology? And uh, overall business costs in the state are really not so driven by taxes anymore. They're pretty low but rather by healthcare and workforce costs. Mm -hmm. And so um, how can we be better at matching skills and then having a really the new business friendly environment, yeah. which it goes beyond the previous scope of what I think a lot of policymakers used to think and, about. And, and, and you believe that that, whether it's for Lilly or any other company, as they yeah. look to uh, grow, expand, uh, relocate, those are the things they're looking for. Yeah, I think that's what a cutting edge environment looks like. And, uh, and we do really well, top 10 on many of the traditional mm -hmm. markers like cost of business mm -hmm. and tax. We're often in the bottom 10 on these other factors. Mm -hmm. It's time we all pay attention to that. And then underpinning that are two other factors which like them or leave them are with us. One, uh, the drive to have a green economy mm -hmm. and giving businesses the choice of how they buy their energy, renewable or not and uh, inclusion, and here everyone thinks about minority group members, and that's a key thing, particularly in urban settings like Indianapolis, but also increasingly in the state, including rural areas. Mm -hmm. How can we keep kids in the state who want to work here in Indiana and include them in our economy? And the new topic, of course, immigration. Mm -hmm. And uh, people who don't, aren't Hoosiers yet, but could be. We need population growth. Uh, to, to reach our potential. And many skilled people who want to work hard uh, should think of Indiana as a destination. I'm not sure we always advertise it that way. Yeah, yeah. interesting perspective mm -hmm. uh, and perspective too on Lilly's long-term uh, growth. Dave Ricks, CEO of Eli Lilly and Company. Thanks as always. Great to be with you. All right. There's an Indiana connection to a cutting edge tool for men battling prostate cancer. Doctors at the IU School of Medicine are some of the first in the country to use it. Jason Kaufman with Telix Pharmaceuticals spoke with Kylie Valletta in the business of health. Let's talk first about what ALU6 is. It's a radio pharmaceutical, also known as a nucle nuclear medicine, which is this entirely cutting edge area. So what is it and how does it improve PET scans? So keep in mind uh, about 260,000 American men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer uh, in, in the U.S., 5,000 of which are here in Indiana. So uh, it, it's, a, it's one of the second leading causes uh, of cancer in, uh, it, it, sorry. It's okay, in the U.S., correct? In the U.S. Right. Um, it, it is the second leading cause, uh, cause of cancer in, in men in the U.S. And that's where Elucix comes in. Uh, you know, Elucix is a radiopharmaceutical that is really designed to help urologists understand the extent of disease better. Um, when someone is diagnosed with, with cancer, 
their first question is, how bad is it? Where is it? What do I do? And, and so this gives a urologist a, a tool, a better tool um, over previous uh, modalities to understand the extent of that disease. And I like the name Elucix uh, refers to how it illuminates these prostate cancer cells that may have spread. Uh, I use School of Medicine. Doctors there were the very first doctors in the country to use Elucix. And that was very intentional, right? It, it was. Um, the Indiana University School of Medicine has been with us literally from the start. Uh, they helped us uh, provide data for our initial um, validation here in the U.S., um, which really started our journey towards uh, FDA approval um, a number of years ago. So uh, it was only fitting to come back to IU. Um, Dr. Clint Baylor, uh, urologist uh, at the School of Medicine, has been a, a great partner for us. And it was great to see our, our first patient. Um, he, he had just had his uh, uh, prostate removed back in November uh, of last year. And when Dr. Baylor saw that his PSA levels were rising, uh, he wanted to understand what the extent uh, of the disease may be um, in his patient. So it was a perfect opportunity to get him in, uh, do the first scan of Elucix, and uh, really gave Dr. Baylor a better understanding of how to proceed with, with his patient. I know he represents thousands of patients uh, right here in Indiana. So Central Indiana in recent years has really become a hot spot for nuclear medicine. Explain how that's going to help the rollout of Elucix. So Central Indiana, um, you know, Fishers has been a great partner. Uh, Indianapolis, uh, the greater metro area, is really perfectly set up because of uh, companies like FedEx, Lilly, Roche Diagnostics, Cardinal Health. Um, those are all resources that we can leverage as, as a small company uh, to ensure that we have all the tools necessary to bring a, a commercial agent like, like Elucix to the market. And you used an analogy that I really like, that these molecules have such a short shelf life, you, you call it, it's like a melting ice cube. Yeah, so a radiopharmaceutical is um, based in part on uh, a radioisotope, which decays just like any um, radiation material. And so so with that, uh, there's a limited amount of time that you have to get it from the point of manufacture to into the patient. And so it literally is like a, dealing with a melting ice cube. It's very important to have the right partners, the right distribution systems in place to make, it, make sure that it happens seamlessly and, and gets to the patient when they need it. All right. Well, congratulations on the product. I know you're moving to a new site in Fishers. You're growing so fast, so we'll be following you. Thank you very much, Kylie. Heading to City Hall will look different in Fishers. The city has big plans to incorporate the arts community into the new city center. Around Indiana reporter Mary Rachel Redmond has more on that story, as well as an update with the president of the University of Southern Indiana. We begin in Hamilton County, where, as they say, out with the old, in with the new. Fisher's current city hall, built in the early 90s, is getting torn down. In its place, a new $23 million three-story city hall and arts complex that will serve as a permanent home for local performers and concerts. Construction is slated to begin this fall, and while Fisher's has emerged as a tech and life sciences hub in central Indiana, Mayor Scott Fadness says including the arts is essential to the lifeblood of his community. 
think it's part of being a dynamic city. There's a lot of conversations these days about cities being um, the dynamism of a city. Is, is it vibrant? Is it moving forward? Is there energy associated with it? That energy attracts companies, attracts creative class people that you want in your community that'll drive the next generation of uh, companies. And so I think it's all part of an overall vision uh, to create a place that really is a destination for the best and brightest. And when they come here, we know their companies will follow. So uh, again, it's just executing on that strategy. It's one more component of uh, creating a smart, vibrant entrepreneurial city here in Fishers. Meantime, in southwest Indiana, the University of Southern Indiana says it remains on track to go Division I in its intercollegiate athletic programs. USI President Dr. Ronald Roshan says he thinks the move could be a game changer for the university and the region, but adds it's merely just a title. USI has been a Division I campus for a number of years. Now we're just making it official. We have Division I faculty, staff, students, and also student-athletes. I'm excited about what this is going to do for USI and what it's going to do for this broader community. People are excited about supporting our students for the right reason. And we're excited about serving this community also. And two Indiana hotels receiving coveted designations. Bottleworks Hotel in downtown Indianapolis and Purdue University's Union Club Hotel, both given the AAA for Diamond Hotel designation for 2022. Bottleworks Hotel opened in late 2020 as part of the $300 million Bottleworks District. To check out the full list of four Diamond Hotels in Indiana, go to our website at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. More diners appeared to be interested in vegetarian and vegan food than ever before. Fortunately for Hoosiers, Indiana offers plenty of options. Yelp Director of Community Campaigns Brittany Smith has more in our Trendiana segment. So in a sense, it sounds like Indiana is maybe catching up with a trend that's, uh, that's been around for a while. Yeah, you'll see it. You know, if you're out and about, you're going to notice on menus that more businesses are adding vegan offerings. You're seeing vegan bakeries popping up, even vegan cocktails. The menus are expanding to match the consumer demand, as well as standalone vegan uh, businesses opening up. Yep, restaurants, and these are small businesses and entrepreneurs around the state of Indiana. I think that's interesting, too, about this vegan revolution, if you will, is that it is a statewide. So let's begin with the, here in Indianapolis, with the 10th Street Diner. It's on the near east side uh, of Indianapolis. Yeah, this is a family-friendly or family-owned business that just opened up in 2019, specializing in vegan comfort foods. So when you think about some of your favorite dishes, you know, like uh you got cookies, the pickles that are fried, some of those like hearty classics, you're actually going to find them there in vegan versions, as well as a Saturday brunch that they have that folks really love. You're going to find menu options like tofu scramble, soy chorizo hash, huevos rancheros. So it's, it's a fun spot to check out all hours of the day. Yeah, you know, I know some of these restaurants, too, aren't aren't strictly uh, vegan. Some offer meat as well. And one of those is the three in one restaurant that's also here in Indianapolis. Yeah, definitely a crowd pleaser. You might recognize the name at Farmer's Markets around the city, mm -hmm. located at 86 and Ditch Road is their brick and mortar location. Um, yep, they've got stuff for folks who love meat as well as folks who are looking to go with the plant-based offering. They actually just made our list of top 100 vegan places to eat in the U.S. and Canada this last week. So really fun to see an Indianapolis business on that list. And um, what they're best known for is their pupusas, which if you've never had a pupusa, it's like a griddle cake that's often filled with cheeses or veggies or meat. And they 
they have a vegan offering of that stuff with zucchini and they use avocados and fresh asparagus. Um, so it's a really fun spot to check out and try a new cuisine. And uh, again, great for meat eaters and vegans alike. I mentioned the statewide uh, footprint uh, in this uh, vegan movement. Loving Cafe is in Fort Wayne. Yeah, this is one of the two spots in Fort Wayne that actually made the list. And it's uh, not only important to recognize that it's got healthy vegan offerings, but it's also very affordable. Sometimes it can get a little more expensive to have vegan offerings. And Loving Cafe is known for being affordable and open to all in the community. And they are best known for their fresh summer rolls, which are filled with vermicelli noodles and coleslaw and vegan chicken, um, as well as their potato kale soup. It looks great. I've, I've got it on my list. I got to get up there and check it out. All right. Let's b- bounce north and west of uh, Fort Wayne to South Bend and the Penalia Vegan Asian Restaurant. Yeah, this one is an all vegan Asian eatery. So you're going to find a lot of classics there that are just with a vegan twist. Um, One of the most popular ones on the menu from the Yelp reviews is the Malaysian curry stew, which is filled with veggies, as well as the kimchi yaki udon noodles. And folks really love that you can order, delivery and carry out right on their website. So really seamless if you're wanting to swing by and take it home for the night. Okay, got about 30 seconds back to Fort Wayne and the savory vegan grill. Yeah, this one is, uh, they like to describe themselves as being a vegan version of traditional American junk foods. They've got fried pickle slices, chili cheese fries, pretzel sticks. I call this one a great uh, gateway intro if you're new to vegan food to find one of your favorite options uh, that's American classic and try it there. The vegan movement driving business around the state of Indiana. Brittany Smith uh, from Yelp. As always, great to have you on the show. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much, Gary. Remember, you can catch Inside Indiana Business Television on stations throughout the state every weekend. Head to InsideIndianaBusiness.com to check listings. There's a plan in the works to turn John Marshall High School on the far east side of Indianapolis into a hub for social services. The move could mean new jobs and other opportunities for the area. Fervent Prayer Church Pastor James Jackson and Gleaners Food Bank CEO John Elliott joined us with more in our Ion Education segment. Hey, John, I'll start with you. Um, This John Marshall Opportunity Hub, I think an innovative idea to really address some issues and make some changes. Give us the thumbnail description of this Opportunity Hub and what it's all about. Well, it's really consistent with our own strategy at Gleaners, where we've been trying to deal with the interconnected challenges of poverty and the way families face them and take the convenience of finding multiple solutions under one roof. You know, hunger, education, transportation, housing, all tied together. This building has a unique opportunity to solve a lot of things in one place. And give us an idea, because you talk about food deserts. There are deserts of all kinds in this in this area of right. food, healthcare, uh, finance, quality of life uh, elements. What could this become, John this could, Marshall? This could yeah. be the solution to all of those for 85,000 people or 32,000 households, mm-hmm. a, a job creator. Um, out to the Mount Comfort area, but also within the neighborhood and within the building. Obviously, we have growing partnerships with Ivy Tech and with Eskenazi and others, and this can take those to a whole new level uniquely in that neighborhood. Yeah, Pastor Jackson, uh, talk about the challenges or opportunities in this area that that at one time was kind of an outer suburban area, now more of an inner city, very diverse neighborhood with lots of people, tens of thousands of people who in need of jobs and services. What can this mean for, for the area? Well, it means a lot, Gary, and I've been pastoring out there about 24 years, and I've watched that growth. And we've uh, worked with gleaners uh, for a number of years pre-pandemic. 
and the program that is currently in the parking lot of John Marshall serving up upwards of a thousand households every other week was incubated in our parking lot. And um, it just, the trend there is as things like this open up, we're better able to serve the community. Yeah. As you look at the evolving nature, such a diverse area of the city uh, there, opportunity for jobs, opportunity for social services as well. And again, this is all under one roof. These, this development would be uh, inside the old John Marshall High School. Can this become, could potentially this become really that gathering spot, kind of a catalyst uh, for some, uh, some interesting things going forward? Absolutely. There's a, there are a lot of sidewalk connections already out there that lead to John Marshall more on the way. Um, and I think all of the different businesses and services out uh, in the community that want to be in there under, under one roof makes it very convenient. There are a lot of apartment complexes out there, and those were out there for a purpose to serve Naval Avionics, Western Electric, uh, the fort while it was open. And so we have all these thousands of people who are within walking distance, and that's one of the uniquenesses of it, that can just access it very easily. Yeah, uh, and John, that job component, you mentioned the Mount Comfort Corridor, uh, some ready grant money uh, is out there in the 7040 Coalition. Tens of thousands of jobs are gonna be opened up that's out right. there. This can be training here in this at this hub, and then uh, transportation out there to, to uh, fuel these uh, companies. And think of the economic power of all those paychecks coming back from that Mount Comfort Corridor into that neighborhood. It'll be such an incubator for small neighborhood businesses and startups. So there's a whole secondary wave of job creation too, and the opportunity to be educated or retrained at Ivy Tech under that roof as well. A lot of support in the community uh, from Gleaners and other organizations. Uh, I know Ivy Tech, many others involved. What's it going to take? Is we only have about 20 seconds. I know there's a real right. a time timeline here that right. uh, folks want to get this rolling. What's it going to take to? to make it's it going to take additional partners. Um, hopefully the city will be joining us. We hope to hear that soon. But you've got philanthropic powerhouses like Glick Philanthropies involved. But in, the, in total, we're talking about a $30 million or so investment, about 20 of that capital and 10 of that operating to get it through the first five years when it becomes the neighborhood's organization. Yeah. Innovative idea percolating uh, the John Marshall Opportunity Hub on the uh, near northeast side. James Jackson is the pastor at Fervent Prayer Church. John Elliott, the CEO at uh, Gleaners Food Bank. Thank you both. Uh, we'll look forward to following the story. You're welcome. Thank you, Gary. Thank All you. Right. Employee Indy has launched the Good Wages Initiative. The program rewards Marion County businesses that pay their workers at least $18 an hour and provide health benefits. Employee Indy Chief Strategy Officer Marie McIntosh and B&W Plumbing President Beth Rovazzini came on the show with details. Hey, Marie, want to start with you. Uh, the Good Wages Initiative, give us in a nutshell what this uh, initiative is all about. Right. So it's the Good Wages Initiative is part of Employee Indy's Choice Employers Program, and we're really focused on certifying and celebrating Marion County employers who are providing those full-time employees with a wage of at least $18 an hour and access to health care benefits. Um, we put this together through some, some research that we did with a group of partners um, based on uh, a report from Brookings. And, you know, we're just really excited about trying to address the issue of wages in our community and, and lift up the employers who are doing amazing work in the space. Marie, how do you do it? What, what, what do companies who go through the program, who get certified, uh, what do they get? 
Right. So uh, the companies who have gone through our application process are either certified or committed, and they they get access to a full catalog of resources from Employendy and a network. Um, in addition to us, obviously amplifying the good work that they're doing through a lot of our um, social media marketing channels and the like, and they get that information too. I think what matters most to the employers who are part of this program, though, are you know having that opportunity to talk with other like-minded. Um, employers who are interested in making the same kinds of improvements yeah. in their in their wages. Yeah, hey, Beth uh, B and, uh, and W is certainly a high profile company here in central Indiana and around the state. But you, like others, uh, have a real challenge when it comes to talent. Give us a snapshot of what it's like out there trying to get the workers you need. Uh, it's quite difficult. There's a joke that there's one plumber and we all share them. We have have on a <laughs> schedule, but uh, we've all had to. Uh, find some innovative ways to do it. One of the things that we've been doing is working more with the high schools and actually even to middle schools because uh, it's at, we're gonna, we need workers now, but I'm going to need them in four years, too. So it, it's OK if we hire them and raise them, too. How does this good wages initiative benefit a company like yours? I know you've got other like minded companies that are part of the program, but how does it, how does it benefit your company? Well, right now, we're the only uh, person in our sp- company in our space that is certified. And so that kind of sets us apart. And it also lets our applicants know that this is a good job, that this is different than some of the other jobs that they may be thinking about. And when you're 18 to 21, there's a lot of jobs that you qualify because you're entry level and you're not skilled, but it's hard to know which ones can turn into careers and which one have, have better opportunities. And I think that'll this will help identify our company is a better opportunity than some others. Marie, uh, what does success look like uh, for this program? I know you've looked at programs in other uh, areas uh, of the country, uh, some with uh, hundreds of employers uh, involved. You're just launching this uh, right now. What does success, in your view, look like for the, uh, the Good Wages Initiative? Great question. Yeah, I think success for us uh, looks like uh, lots of employers from across many different industries who are are bought into the importance of like elevating their their space in this um, work, and you know that that leads to better productivity and less turnover for those employers, and then for the community, it's uh, success looks like the community understanding the value of um, you know buying from these employers or, or engaging with those employers who are doing it. Ultimately, though, the real the real success number that we're paying attention to is how much um, wages are increased as a result of this initiative and what that leads to, uh, you know, in the long run in terms of economic prosperity for individuals, but our community, too. All right. Marie McIntosh, the chief strategy officer at Employee Indy. Beth Rovazzini, the owner and president of B&W Plumbing. Thanks very much. The Good Wages Initiative launching right now on the show. We look forward to following your progress. Thank you. you. All right. A global audience in the millions was focused on Indianapolis last week and will continue to do so throughout the spring and summer months. It's all thanks to eSports and the NBA 2K League coming to the pavilion at Pan Am Plaza. NBA 2K League Head of Business Development Lindsay Ullman talked with Bill Benner on Inside Indiana Sports. Let's talk about why the NBA 2K, I, the couple of seasons affected by COVID before that, I think the competition took place uh, on the East Coast of New York. Why have they come to Indianapolis? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And honestly, this was a really important season for us. We're going into our fifth season. So finding the right home was incredibly important, particularly coming off those two remote years, as you referenced. Um, And Indianapolis has a rich history of basketball culture. So we felt like it was time to bring the next iteration of basketball, virtual basketball, to Indianapolis. And I mean, I would be remiss not to also mention that this is the host of the Indianapolis has been the host of many iconic sporting events. And we believe that we can be one of the next ones. We'll talk about the general concepts, the length of the season, the number of teams involved. I know you have amateur competition as well. And of course, the, the, the realm of esports is ever, ever expanding. Yeah, that's right. And so we have 24 teams, as you mentioned in the upfront. New this year, we have a mixture of five-on-five and three-on-three gameplay. And so the season is consistent of eight tournaments across the course of about five months. So we tipped off at the beginning of April, and we'll wrap up with our 5v5 finals at the end of August. Um, For 5v5 play, that is just the 24 2K League teams. For our three-on-three component, Amateurs can actually compete as part of qualifiers leading up to the three-on-three tournaments, which means that they'll have a chance to go up for the prize pool, just like our 2K League teams are. Um, Prize pool of $2.5 million, that's a 65% gross increase year over year. Lindsay, talk about, again, the the growth of of eSports in particular uh, with the NBA, I mean, uh, really embracing this and and, and moving it into the realm. Uh, it's, It's truly, truly amazing. Honestly, Bill, I think the example you just gave is the best one. I was talking to one of our players last night, and he was telling me how eSports started. People were literally packing their own PlayStation or Xbox plugging it in and competing in tournaments. And now you have companies like the NBA and Take-Two partnering together on a joint venture to launch an official eSports league. And as for us at the league, we started in season one with 17 teams. We now have 24 teams. We welcome Dukes Infinitos during our off season for season five. And they're eventually gonna be based in Mexico City. So our first foray into the LATAM market, which we're really excited about. Lindsay, uh, as we wrap up, uh, how can the general public get involved, especially at the Pavilion at Pan Am Plaza? Yeah, we'd love to have you out over the course of the season. Tickets are available at NBA2KLeague.com. And for those of you who may not be able to make it out to the Pavilion, you can tune in on Twitch. Well, Lindsay, we certainly appreciate you coming on, uh, on the show. Welcome to Indianapolis, and we look forward to an exciting season of NBA2K action down at the Pavilion at Pan Am Plaza. Best, best wishes. Thank you, Bill. There's a lot to look forward to in this week's IBJ. That includes the Ray Hall Racing brand's potential economic impact in Boone County and a woodworking school carving out success in Johnson County. Editor Leslie Weidenbenner joined us with more. Hey, before we get to those stories, big news late in the week, certainly for uh, Bloomington, South Central Indiana, really the entire state. Catalan, the big biopharma company, announcing a major expansion, $300 plus million at its Bloomington operations. Yeah, $350 million to expand the manufacturing. They're going to add another 1,000 jobs. That will actually bring Catalan to an additional 2,300 jobs from January 1st all the way up through the end of next year. So it's, it's a huge move. That is, yeah, big news uh, on that and big news for the uh, the uh, Life Sciences Initiative, certainly here in Indiana. Hey, I mentioned uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan uh, Racing, one of the premier IndyCar teams, uh, really driving some economic interest and activity in Boone County. 
Yeah, you know, they announced a couple years ago they were going to build their headquarters there. That's almost finished. They're going to move in there this summer. There, That's Bobby Rahal's group. Now his son, Graham Rahal, owns, he's a driver, but in addition to that, he owns some retail operations for uh, some cars and luxury uh, motorcycles. He's looking to buy a couple of those lots and expand or to move those operations there too. In addition to that, I think they have another four lots that are under consideration right now. So that thing has taken a while to take off, but it seems to be really gaining a lot of momentum right now. Interesting. The business of motorsports continues to be big. And finally, I mentioned the woodworking school in Johnson County. Been around for a while, but getting national notoriety. Yeah, it's the it, Mark Adams created this woodworking school back in 1993, I believe it was. And so it's been around a long time, but they have expanded this summer. They're going to do 250 classes and workshops. And most of them are woodworking related, but they're doing all kinds of things now. Chocolate making, embroidery, upholstering, all kinds of things. And it's really driving some tourism to Johnson County. Real entrepreneurial success story, it sounds like, uh, as well. Uh, Leslie Weidenbenner, as always, uh, great to have you on the show with a little preview of what's coming up in the IBJ. Have a great weekend. And finally, our insiders take on the top business stories in Indiana, including the latest on Eli Lilly and Governor Holcomb's trade mission to Europe. This week's panel includes Hallowell Consulting President Jennifer Hallowell, Veteran Strategies President Robert Vane, and Greg and Appel Insurance Vice President Steve Appel. Dave Ricks was on the show to lead off the show, talking about uh, the future of Lilly post-COVID. Uh, Steve, I'll start with you. He had a pretty rosy outlook, uh, talked about a decade of unprecedented growth, uh, more uh, drugs coming out, medicines coming out of the pipeline. Um, it's good for Indiana when Lilly uh, at least has a positive positive outlook. So I saw the figures. It's, they're projecting 20 new drugs over 10 years. 10 That's years, after yeah. 16 new after the last eight years, 16 new drugs. So pretty impressive pipeline. And as the biggest thing, when, when Lilly does well, it means Lilly Endowment is doing well as well, which is huge. And I think you were potentially going to talk about some of Mr. Ricks's comments for Indiana as well, which were interesting when your, when your customers are telling you things, you got to be listening. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, some very interesting. He gave a speech to the Economic Club of Indiana this week and talked about Indiana as a state, a good business, a very good business or state to do business in, tax climate, business climate. But he also talked about some concerns around education, training, retraining, the health of Hoosiers, those hidden costs, uh, business costs that make it challenging to attract and keep businesses in Indiana. That's right, and honestly, it's a message that I think more and more leaders and legislators need to hear mm -hmm. because for a long time, uh, certainly dating back to Governor Mitch Daniels, we have been really focused on being a business-friendly state in all those categories you mentioned, mm -hmm. but we don't rank well in a lot of things as it relates to health, education. We've got to work on quality of place, mm -hmm. quality of life, and so we need to hear more from business leaders that that's something that we need to do to be able to keep attracting jobs and investment to the state. Do you think that's being because the, the big Intel uh, chip investment, multi-billion dollar investment, Indiana, a finalist, but it goes to Ohio and a lot of talk about about workforce and the inability to promise get them the number of people they need. You think that uh, maybe will start to resonate a little more in the business community? I, I think it is. And I, I 
just think it, it needs to get to the state house with the folks who are passing mm -hmm. legislation and funding for these kind of projects. And frankly, it's, it's a great time to be sending that message because next year will be a budget session and we are in a good position that we can make investments in some of those areas that we really yeah. need to. Another big story late in the week, uh, Catalan, the New Jersey-based biopharma company, has a major operation in Bloomington, announced uh, plans for a $350 million investment in Bloomington, 1,000 new jobs on top of 2,300 or so uh, jobs that have been created down there. So, Robert, big news for Bloomington, certainly, and for the Life Sciences Initiative in Indiana, and also a continual change, if you will, from old line manufacturing into the, the new economy there. Well, we talked about that before it started, before the segment started. You're exactly right. RCA used to have a huge presence there building televisions, you know, during the Cold War, for lack of a better term, and now the sense of the industry and what's what's attractive not only to companies being here, but what's attractive to the workforce. Why am I going to college? What do I want to do when I get out of college? I mean, I can do that. I can do what I want and stay at home. I can stay in Indiana. That's a winning message. Well, just this week, uh, a donor gave a million dollars to the Kelly School of Business for Life Science Initiative, right. and obviously Cook's presence is huge down there. So it continues in, in Indiana yeah. in a nice way. Yeah, and it's really changing the, uh, the landscape in Bloomington, to be sure. Another uh, city uh, that continues uh, to see a landscape change is Fishers, a growing city. And uh, Jennifer, plans announced this week for a new city center, city hall, if you will. Uh, that's a big that's a big move for Fishers. It really is. So it's an arts and municipal mm -hmm. complex. And I have had the opportunity to work with Mayor Fadness over the years. And he, you know, what has happened in that city since 2014 is really amazing. But it's been intentional. You know, they have grown the tech ecosystem. They've grown a culinary uh, ecosystem. They have life sciences, incredible investment in life sciences lately. And they did a community survey and asked, you know, what things do you want Fishers to be, to offer? and something more in the arts is something that a lot of people wanted and so they've really kind of gone out and intentionally built out all these things so that residents have everything that they want um, and it's really attracting companies and visitors and new residents. And, and you mentioned technology, that's been a big focus. But one thing that's kind of been a surprise, I think, to Mayor Fadness and others is the life sciences uh, investment up in, right. in there. We had uh, Telix on the show. <clears throat> a um, diagnostic company, prostate cancer, uh, growing as well. So Robert, as you look at, at, at that piece, growing in Fishers, it's a big piece as well. Well, Fadness, uh, to Mayor Fadness, to Jennifer's point, has done it intelligently and deliberately with a forethought. He knows what he's looking for. He knows what his people want. That's really important. And much like Greg Ballard, when Ballard was mayor of Indianapolis, he understands <coughs> the importance of connectivity. What brings young people here? What are the amenities that younger folks want to see in a place where they could potentially raise their children, not just work. Yeah, I, I just echo what they said. I think Mayor Fadness has been very uh, innovative leader and the, we have clients in the Fishers area in the, in the life science as well. Global uh, investment, uh, Governor Holcomb, Secretary of Ch uh, Commerce Chambers also will be headed to another uh, overseas trip, going to the UK, be talking with uh, representatives, uh, executives at Rolls-Royce, at Saab, 
As you look at these uh, at these trips that are, that are uh, taking place, the value of those in your view? Well, they're really they're just visiting customers and clients of Indiana. So these are big big investments made in Indiana, and that's good and that's important. And then the last stop in, in Monaco to see an F1 race makes you wonder if that could be coming to the Speedway. Yeah, business of motorsports uh, in indeed. And Jennifer and Robert, I'd love your take on that too because years ago. You know, many years ago, those international trips were criticized. Right now, it's part of doing doing business. And some of the stops, uh, Tate and Lyle, which has a, a couple of operations in Lafayette, Rolls Royce, of course, uh, here in Indiana, and West Lafayette, um, and in Saab, which has the new aerospace facility in West Lafayette. How, how important, in your view, are these trips? I think they're incredibly important. And I don't want to steal from Robert, but we we both worked with Mayor Greg Ballard, and it wasn't that long ago he was mayor, and he was criticized for some of yeah. these trips that really ended up being important for the city of Indianapolis. But I also think it's exciting to see Secretary Chambers kind of put his mark on economic development with a big focus on kind of innovative technology, clean energy, battery technology, EVs, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, and, and Mayor Ballard, he put a big focus on international economic development, but but trying to shine a global spotlight on, on Indiana and Indianapolis. The most underrated aspect of why Greg Ballard was such a successful mayor was the fact that he had done all of that traveling while serving as an officer in the Marine Corps. He traveled the world. Mm -hmm. He saw what worked. He saw what people liked. He brought that to the mayor's office in a way it had never been done before. And it's paid its dividends over and over again. The IEDC has been doing it for years. They have a terrific team at the IEDC. They've had a wonderful track record about what they're doing. Secretary Chambers, obviously, is a very smart entrepreneur. Uh, Governor Holcomb served overseas in the mm -hmm. Navy, as I recall. So he sees what's going on there. It's long overdue for these trips to get the respect they deserve yeah. because they're winning. They're a winning initiative for Hoosiers. Hey, we can't end on sports, Steve. Uh, NBA 2K. It's all being hosted here in Indianapolis. That is a sport with explosive growth. Good for Indianapolis. Oh uh, yeah, sports court. Ryan Vaughn's doing a great job. And you know, we did amateur sports, and then we've hosted big events. And this looks like it could be one of the new frontiers in sports for us. Esports. Very good. Steve Appel, Jennifer Hollowell, also Robert Vane. Thank you all Thank for joining you. us. That wraps up this week's Inside Indiana Business Television podcast. Remember, you can find all of this week's TV segments, as well as the top business news from throughout the state, at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. While you're there, you can also subscribe to our platform of free e newsletters. This is Andy Ober for Inside Indiana Business.